0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Assorted Goods. I am Dan Felton, your host. Thank you so much for joining me this episode as we take another curious look at the world around us. Hope you're all doing well out there. And this episode, we're taking a look at something that falls into the good old big ideas category. Now I like big ideas. You idiot. Smaller, simpler ideas are way better. What the hell? No. Big ideas are the best. People who like small ideas are just lazy idiots big small big small Whoa, oh, whoa 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 all right everybody just settle down Jeez, who knew robots could be so moody one of the many many things that rattles around my head all the time is the way that almost everything now seems to boil down to being about one side against another side you know how it is coke versus pepsi red versus blue Marvel vs. DC, Samsung vs. iPhone, PlayStation vs. Xbox, sports team vs. any other sports team, anti this, pro that, it's always us versus them. And so much of our world is being boiled down to binary thinking, pitting one side against the other. But why? Well, for some, it's good for business, and for others, it's a good way to distract from other issues. But whatever the case, Why does it seem to be the most common way we understand our world? Is it just easier to be able to make any topic or issue an all or nothing, one group versus another group debate? Well, this episode we're digging deeper into why people keep splitting into two sides. That's coming up here on Assorted Goods, so let's start the show. No, don't start the show yet. No, don't listen to him. Start the show. No, Assorted Goods sucks. Turn it off. Shut up. You automated pizza. Hey, 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 hey. Cut it out, you two. I'm tired of having to break up your fights. One more peep out of either one of you. And I'm this Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network at deanblundell.com. Now, this topic is one that I don't think requires much more introduction for you, really, because no matter who you are or where you come from or whatever you're interested in throughout your day-to-day life, you are guaranteed to have experienced some sort of example of binary thinking. One side and another side. It's a part of so many aspects of the world we live in now, and the most obvious example to point to right off the bat is politics. The way that seemingly every topic of discussion is now able to be boiled down into a two-sided political issue, whether it's started there or not. Hot topic news items, cultural issues, taking a stance on one thing or another— it commonly now comes down to being able to be a part of one group or the other. And at the same time, there's been no room for nuance or gray areas, or for maybe agreeing in part with one thing, but differing on another point, you know? It's an all-or-nothing proposition on most subjects. Either you're all in or you're out. But binary thinking isn't a new thing. It's not some recent development that I can go and blame on the internet or social media, which sucks because those are my usual go-tos for placing blame. But Why I've thought about doing an episode on this topic for a while is because I just don't get why it's everywhere all the time. And honestly, the more I researched it, the more I started to see it all over the place. I just don't understand why it dominates our discussions and why people don't seem to recognize the absurdity of it. I mean, human beings are infinitely complex and unique. Every person is a mashup of their genetics, their upbringings, their environments, and the complete roulette wheel of chance that is being alive. And yet, when there's something up for a debate, we have a need to identify people as belonging to one camp or another. And at the same time, we're living in a moment of history where some of the most traditionally concrete ideas of binary are being challenged. When you hear the word binary now, your mind likely thinks of the concept of gender, which for most of history was socially perceived as being one or the other, male or female. Of course, now we've come to understand that for many people, that isn't the case and that they identify in a way that maybe isn't based on their external physical characteristics. It's something that can be fluid, that exists on a spectrum. Same thing with sexuality, another concept that has firm roots in social traditions, but over recent decades is now being understood and accepted as being something that isn't so simple to put into traditional categories. So if we're able to recognize the nuance of complex issues like people's self-identity and move past binary thinking there— then why is it that we don't notice binary thinking in the infinite number of other places it crops up? Now, of course, I recognize fully that there are some groups of people who are still opposed to the idea that things like gender and sexuality are fluid and still hold on to the belief systems that they're actually more rigid and binary. There's still a lot of progress to be made on that subject. And there is something about there being a binary debate about people not identifying with binary gender roles that Create some sort of irony to me or something. I don't know. I can't wrap my head around it. But, anyways, binary thinking spreads across just about everything. People fight about iPhones being better than Androids. Which superhero could kick another superhero's ass if Michael Jordan is a better basketball player than LeBron James? Pitting two anythings against each other is probably the backbone of the sports media and content world right now, by the way. But I could really just sit here for a full episode and fill it with nothing but examples of this. But then, of course, We wouldn't learn nothing. But obvious points aside, it's clear that what we're dealing with is something more elemental, more rooted in our brains than just being a trick used by news networks to get us to tweet more. So why are these crazy monkey brains of ours so obsessed with filtering the world through that lens? Well, because so much of this subject comes back to the same old underlying forces that drive us as creatures. Back to the basics of being animals, baby. Binary thinking has its benefits to humans from an evolution perspective because it allows us. have clear options to choose from in an important moment. Think of fight or flight response. If a tiger is bearing down on you about to rip you apart, there's not much time to consider the options. Why does this tiger want to harm me? No, you've got a split second to think of how to save your own ass. I got to run or defend myself. There's really no middle ground. And evolutionary mechanisms like this haven't just faded away from us while society has evolved. We still have those pathways in our brains they just get used in different ways now now we could get real philosophical here but binary thinking gets applied as the basis of how we perceive things to be moral or immoral right or wrong When we talk about laws or rules either someone's actions broke that rule according to the letter of the law or they didn't and punishment then follows that interpretation which is really funny to me because in reality Enforcing laws exists almost completely in gray areas. That's what the legal system is. That's why we have lawyers and judges. People study the laws for their whole lives in order to interpret them one way or another and to boil a complicated situation down to a clear-cut decision of either this person broke the law or they didn't. Even when things are complicated, we like when they get simplified down to a one or another outcome. It's like this show, complicated stuff getting boiled down to the simple. It's really giving myself too much credit maybe, but one piece of my research on binary thinking brought me to three concepts of binary thinking that I think we should touch on and we'll run through them real quick here because they're a pretty direct way of wrapping our heads around the subject. So the first one is the truth binary, which is viewing a statement as either being all the way true or false. These statements would begin with something like, I believe that X will happen. And this gets used whether the statement is rooted in reality or not, which it often isn't. Now, I'll keep using sports fandom as an example this episode because it's the least volatile arena to draw examples from, and also, sorry, sports fans, myself included. But they are great examples for this episode. But sports fans all the time have this way of speaking about things that have not yet happened. Now, I'm a Los Angeles Rams fan, and they just played in the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals a couple of weeks ago. And before the game, I was obsessively reading everything about the game coming up and then reading the comments and replies, of course. And of course, I noticed that Bengals fans have no problem making statements like, oh, the Rams are going to get shut down by the Bengals, and Joe Burrow is going to embarrass you guys, blah, 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 blah. See how that turned out for you all. <laughs> now, they're not alone. That's every sports fan all the time for every sports team. But my point being, sports fans love to talk in absolutes about what they believe will happen, even though there are no absolute certainties. It doesn't stop people from framing their ideas as, concrete realities ready to come true. You never hear a sports fan be like, I think there's a reasonable probability that our team's going to beat you this Sunday. Never. Anyways, second is the goodness binary. This one's pretty simple. Explaining concepts in a direct, moral-based approach. You know, if you voted for X, then you're a dick, for example. Applying a deeper level of character to either side of an issue. And then the third example was the identification binary. And this is simply the application of characteristics to people based on their affiliations or identities. You know, if you're pro this, then you're good. If not, you're evil. Or people who are from this place are all blank. Or men are all blank. Women are all blank. You you get what I'm saying. That kind of stuff. Now, all three of these blend together a bit with each other. And all three will be evident as we go through this episode. I just thought they were a good point of reference for us here. But the evolutionary or philosophical use of binary thinking still doesn't quite dig deep enough into the way our minds work. And this is where the psychological concept of splitting comes into play. Splitting is an unconscious defense mechanism in which people are unable to navigate the nuances of a two-sided issue and bring them together into a complete whole. We can't appreciate the merits of multiple angles, so it's easier to make it all of one thing or another. Splitting causes people to think in extremes and absolutes, idealizing one side with aspects of virtue or superiority, while the other side embodies negative characteristics, such as being immoral or just being downright evil. Clinical psychologist Andrew Hartz described splitting in an interview with Forbes magazine as, quote, a defense mechanism in which people unconsciously frame ideas, individuals, or groups in an all-or-nothing term. Example, all good versus all bad, or all-powerful versus 100% powerless, end quote pretty much what i just said but it really drives it home when it comes from someone with an educational background you know now the term is commonly used in the assessments of people with borderline personality disorder because people with this diagnosis are unable to integrate the good and bad aspects of themselves and others splitting is also found in those with narcissistic personality disorder and narcissism is an interesting spot to think about for a moment as rates of collective narcissism are much higher in affiliated groups like political parties or religions or, again, even sports team fandom. Splitting can also be an emotional response for those experiencing depression since it can be considered an emotional amplifier. And depression often will create intense emotional responses. You know, everything about my life is terrible is a splitting binary response. And being unable to recognize the bits of good that may exist in your life, too, is a result. And it should be noted that there is research showing that both rates of depression and of narcissistic personality traits are on the rise, meaning that the binary splitting of things would be on the rise too, as if we didn't have enough of it. Dividing things into binary opposites allows us to see the world in a much simpler lens and can both reinforce our own ideas and more clearly create an opposition to go against. And as much as there is that evolutionary usefulness to it, we simply don't need it for that as much anymore. I mean, very few people face immediate danger requiring a quick response in their day-to-day, which means that this way of thinking is a bit of a ghost in the machine that we still live with without understanding that our brains are tricking us. And at the same time, though, the use of binary thinking in how we identify groups has absolutely not gone away either. Tribal thinking is still very applicable in the modern world. And I'm sure that you can guess the downsides of all of this. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It makes it easier to create divides, for example, in politics or around a social issue. But it also brings our ability to create progress and change to a halt. Why? Well, ignoring the nuances of an argument, failing to recognize the merits of the other side of an issue, means that two groups of people are never going to be able to find common ground or create a compromise. They just sit and proclaim that one side should be the absolute and the other should disappear. Psychologist Andrew Hart says that people tend to engage in this subconscious splitting because they have difficulty tolerating ambivalence or uncertainty. We get uncomfortable when something is uncertain. We don't like feeling like we don't know or that there's some sort of mystery that we can't wrap our heads around. Ambivalence is also the feeling people get when navigating a complicated issue. We get anxious when we have to think about how maybe my side of the argument has both merits and flaws. And that would mean that the other side does too. So maybe there's a middle ground that we can, ah, it's too much, forget it. It's just easier to say, screw it, you guys suck. But again, why is that the case? Well, one reason may be is that because anything that we employ binary thinking towards usually has something to do with our core beliefs. If you love the Miami Heat basketball team, It's probably part of who you are. So you've got a piece of your personal identity attached to that fandom. You're not going to let some fan of some other team say that LeBron James was better on Cleveland than he was when he was with the Miami Heat. Hell no. How dare you? It's just factually not true. And that's just sports. Think about politics, religion, social issues, things that are deeper than just entertainment. Parts of people's belief systems that define who they are and how they live. You can't disrespect my faith. And because I have a sense of belonging attached with it, I can't see past that to maybe understand that there could be merits to an argument that pokes holes in my beliefs, even if they are true. It would just call into question a central piece of my self-identity, and nobody likes that. If I'm a diehard conservative or liberal, you know, I go to the rallies and I share the hashtags, all that good stuff, I can't just admit that the other side makes a good point Because that would create uncertainty in my beliefs about my group and what we believe. The other people are wrong or immoral or just devilishly evil, damn it. It comes back to that fight or flight response. We can protect ourselves from the danger of uncertainty if we simply perceive the issue as not only a binary thing, but apply characteristics to each side that, to us, make the choice even clearer than we already thought it was. The recent anti-COVID mandate trucker protest here in Canada is actually a great example of this. Yes, there were various groups at work to create and bolster that movement, but as it unfolded here, I was struck by some of the underlying ideas being shared by the protesters, some of whom I've encountered in the city I live in as well. The issue to them was about freedoms and government overreach and all that, sure, but there was also a pretty clear idea being shared that the people they were opposing Government authorities and those who were going along with public health mandates were somehow evil and spreading the ways of the devil to our children. Seriously, that was common. This group had a strong sense of belief in what they were standing up for. The issue to them was that they didn't want to live under public health restrictions. Sure, okay. But then they also claimed to be fighting for the future of the country and fighting against evil forces that were a threat to our way of life. It's a prime example of bolstering your own ideological viewpoint or the side of the binary issue you fall on with an abstract concept like moral superiority. We don't want mask mandates as one thing. We're fighting against the forces of the devil? Yeah. Now, the concept of splitting can be used in numerous ways too, not just in how we identify with an issue. Two people in a relationship having a fight may whittle things down to a, you think you're always right and I'm always wrong. A statistical analysis of gender differences in the rates of, let's say, depression could be interpreted through the lens of each group's characteristics. Sexism, as it's commonly known as, but, you know, something like, oh, men have lower rates of depression because they're tougher, and less emotional. It's just a random example, really. But the point is that we are wired to take anything under any circumstance, try to break it into binary choices, and then decide which we like better. It's a really flexible piece of our psychology. Now, okay, I know this seems tough to think about here because what we're talking about is poking a stick directly at a deeply embedded piece of what we are as a species, which means that both me and you, the listener, are subject to it too on a daily basis. And even researching it, writing an episode, all of this, it isn't going to suddenly cure it in me or you, but maybe we'll just be slightly more aware of it. Maybe? Hello? Is anyone out there? To be honest, though, it all makes sense to me, really. Our minds want to split the world into two categories, and we pick one based on our own beliefs. Then we add a little enhancement to our side and detract from the other side to make the options clearer to ourselves. As a result, we reduce our uncertainty and increase our sense of belonging. Because that sense of belonging is so important. It's a big part of how we form our beliefs. Belonging is made up of multiple factors, such as identification and cohesion. Things that are built up by a community based around a set of beliefs. The most obvious example, of course, being religions, which have a strong aspect of cohesion and identification as a basis for someone feeling like they belong to a faith, which makes someone's beliefs, therefore, even stronger. It's even more personal in that case. In terms of binary thinking, there's immense power in someone's sense of feeling like they belong on one side of an issue or another. Thanks to social media and the internet too, yes, finally get to blame them for something. But it's easier than ever to identify a side of an argument, engage in the community surrounding those beliefs, and establish a piece of your life that will create a feeling of belonging. During the spread of the QAnon conspiracy theories that plagued the political landscape over the past five years or so, people who researched the group pointed to the sense of belonging its members had. Weekly meetings, catching up on personal matters, and then diving into why Democrats were evil demons destroying the fabric of society. Pretty standard stuff. Identifying with those who feel the same as you do, and then connecting with them only reinforces your affiliations with the side you chose to be on and split off to. Social media allows these groups to then have positive interactions with each other and add an emotional layer on top of the evolutionary wiring side of all of this. And this kind of made me laugh when I got to this part of writing the episode. The way it's all interconnected. The way that so many parts of our psychology, both from our past and our present, blend to create the ideal conditions for binary and really tribal thinking that is evident all over the world, pretty much all the time. But like most things, knowing is half the battle. And being able to understand that this is the way we operate is the only way to move forward, and maybe even do better when we engage in discussions about complex issues. Or, dare I say, work towards actually solving issues politically and socially. That's a crazy idea. But at the same time, though, if a guy like me can research and write an episode and come to these conclusions myself, then, well, really, anyone can. And anyone can identify these same flaws in our collective psychology. And if anyone can do that, then they can recognize the power that lies in all of this. And I'm not talking about a power for good. We're going to take a break and hear some messages from fellow podcasters who would love for you to give them a listen and show them the support that you're showing to Assorted Goods right now. But when we come back, how binary thinking and splitting is being exploited, and maybe how we can fight back against our human nature. Assorted Goods, will be right back. Have you ever wanted to hear more about deities worshipped in Nigerian religions, or black vampires dwelling amongst Americans, or how about those mermaids in Trinidad and Tobago? If so, check out By the Fire podcast where I, Ken, your host, explore tales of mythical creatures and folklore from across the black diaspora. Join me every two weeks where I review black horror media, hear insights from a variety of guest speakers, and be amazed at the vast archive of tales passed down from generation to generation. Check out ByTheFirePodcast.com for more information and subscribe to the newsletter so you never miss an episode. I look forward to you joining me by the fire. Never forced, never coursed. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies and gaming and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. So, now that we've established that human beings are just naturally predisposed to dividing the world into simple categories and then choosing a side accordingly, we have to wonder how is this concept taken and then twisted to serve the goals of one group or another? Because before I even get into the research parts of the second half of this episode, I can already tell you there is absolutely an avenue to exploit this piece of our collective psychology, whether that be in order to muddy the waters politically or even to convince people to vote one way or another or to boost the sales of a product. There is undoubtedly power to divisive binary thinking. The first spot to touch on here would be to explore the idea of othering, which is an important piece to divisive debates and has a lot to do with everything we talked about in the first half. Before the break, we were touching on how when we split things into separate groups, that we also then have a tendency to add a little characteristic to each side to make our choice seem better. You know, our group is the good guys and they're the bad guys, that type of stuff. Othering is the term used to describe the part of all this where you create this opposing group and then place negative traits on them, of course. So you form your own group of people based on some sort of social identity. Let's say fellow citizens of your own nation or people who also love Marvel comics or people who have the same skin color as you. You really can do this in a lot of different ways. And remember, this creates that sense of belonging that people cling to. But then on the other side of this binary debate is the other group. And you can paint them any way you'd like to. Othering obviously can morph into things like racism and sexism. They usually go hand in hand. Take the issue of immigration, for instance, and the discussions that usually end up surrounding it. It's one of the best examples of the use of othering. It's a narrative that gets boosted by politicians and members of the media looking to create and then prey on an emotional issue for people. You start by identifying a group of outsiders or others who are different from you in just any sort of basic way. And by basic, in this case, I would mean it can just be something as simple as they aren't from the same place as us. Now you've engaged binary thinking. You have split the issue into two groups. In this case, people who are from here versus people who are not from here. And as we talked about before, now you get to add those little make-believe details that lift up your side and further put down the other side. Immigrants are blank, blank, blankety, blank, 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 and therefore you shouldn't let them in. You know, they aren't true patriotic people like you. They won't abide by our flawless laws and adapt to our perfect way of life. What do we need them for? So you've managed to not only split people into these two groups, but the trick of othering is that, unlike a more two-sided issue, you pretty much get to create an opposing group out of thin air, and then place the issues over top of it. Again, with immigration as an example. Say the economy comes on hard times and people get frustrated. Well, maybe they'll start asking questions about the people in charge around here. Ah, but if I blame immigrants for the problems of the local community, I can A, create a socially identifiable group for these frustrated people to belong to, and then, of course, boost it with nice words. Patriots, real whatever country you're in, Ian's, freedom lovers, stuff like that. And B... I can now harness the frustrations of this group and simply project them outwards at an other group. Your wages haven't gone up for years because of cheap, illegal immigrant labor. And yeah, you may have figured out that I'm using an example that isn't really all that made up because it's been a common tactic for decades now in politics and by politically biased news organizations. Divide, characterize, exploit. Sometimes, also known as the idea of dividing and conquering, but either way, it doesn't really sound that great. Othering seems to be a little bit different from splitting in that way, that it artificially creates a second side, of course, riddled with bad traits, and then boom, suddenly a clear two-sided issue has been created. So, so far this episode, we're getting an idea of how all these things blend together and come back to the same evolutionary, stupid monkey brain stuff that we still have not gotten over as humans. We want to belong, and we want to feel like we're with people who get us. We want answers to questions that we're burdened with. We want to understand why the world isn't the way we wish it to be. Remember, we hate uncertainty, which is why we flock to separate groups, and we need an outlet for our frustrations, naturally pitting one versus the other, which is why it pisses me off to see how effective these tactics have been in creating political divisiveness and how they continue to be exploited Every day, right now, while I'm talking. Or you're listening to me talk. It's happening all the time. And once again, I get to target the internet and social media. Yes, because it's undeniable that in the past decade, as the world has not just become economically intertwined with each other to create a global community of politics and economics, but social media, of course, has socially connected communities all over the world in a way that human beings have never remotely experienced in their entire history. Blend in the fact that misinformation is so rampant and is used to intentionally mislead people, exploiting these pieces of collective psychology and of social identity, it's been a breeze, man. Especially when there are large technology companies that shrug at the dangers of these trends and people in positions of power who are eager to exploit it all for their own personal gain. And let me just interject again, that if a guy in his apartment making a podcast can research and uncover all these secrets of binary thinking and divisive social movements then what are multi-billion dollar news and tech companies capable of but all right let's get some examples of how all of this is being exploited these days politics again seems to be like the most obvious example and over the past decade political polarization has been on a dramatic rise not just in America where they've mastered the craft of it really but across democracies all around the globe. The use of binary thinking, splitting, and othering are effective tools for any politician who wants to establish a more concrete base of support while also creating an emotionally motivated cause to get behind. Vote for us because we believe in freedom and family values and all this good stuff. And my opponents, well, if they win, they'll bring destruction to our nation and our way of life. Politics has been coded in a nice layer of rhetoric along those lines. We're your only hope. They'll destroy everything. That kind of stuff. Now, of course, I could harp on the politics examples forever and ever, but they're far from being the only place where we see this kind of exploitation. It just may be the clearest example that we're now falling for repeatedly. Every election cycle and really every other moment in between, as politically divisive news networks and social media allow for splitting narratives to be shared endlessly all the time forever. Yay. Tech companies though, like Twitter and the prime culprit of them all, Facebook or meta or whatever, but they have known very well that this is an aspect of our collective psychology that is exploitable and they've had no problem covering up the negative impacts that it's had on society. In 2020, the Wall Street Journal reported that Facebook's own internal research found that their algorithms, quote, exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness. Yikes. They also found out in 2016, 64% of Facebook users who joined extremist groups on their platform did so at the behest of Facebook's own recommendation algorithms. Good stuff. And yet, Despite their own research showing that this was a problem, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook's executives squashed any potential reform programs in the interest of not disrupting the company's growth of individual users worldwide. It wasn't good for business to make a change. Why? Well, because divisive content is more shareable. It evokes more of an emotional response and reinforces the ideas of binary thinking and splitting. All of these things are good for business. Then there's the politically divisive news organization, Fox News, the OGs of the divisive politics sells philosophy, which has been a subscriber to these ideas for decades. And when you combine them with social media, politically divisive outlets like Fox have explicitly stated that they actually aim to create more divisive content because it leads to higher engagement numbers. Again, better for business. And research into the subject has shown that the more of an emotional pull you can create with your content, the more it will be liked, shared, and spread to more and more people. And that's the goal of making anything. I admit that I would like to do that too. I mean, here's a thought. If I wanted assorted goods to grow much, much larger, I could say, take an episode like this one, and then sprinkle in some of that binary divisiveness of my own. Maybe I'd change the title of this episode to How Republicans Are Destroying the World, and then carefully craft the episode so that I can both criticize the effects of binary thinking, while also hypocritically using it to my advantage to paint a picture. Then, maybe the episode would be more searchable in the algorithms. Maybe it would be shared more amongst people who agree with me. And I'll be selling ball hair trimmers in no time. Hmm. You know, come to think of it. But Facebook and Twitter, even, are just examples of a much larger systematic issue in our modern information economy. Every single news outlet, website, YouTube channel, podcaster, all of us want your attention, your time. And we all need it because it's a direct measure of our success. Now, here's a story. Last year, I was able to get access to some inside professional content creation expert guidance. And what I was told was that what sells is exactly that, talking about the hot topic stories and news and being bold in your opinions on the matter by taking a side and being firm in what you say. Why? Well, because listeners or viewers or whoever and the algorithms both respond positively and enjoy that kind of content more. People like being appealed to this binary way of thinking. And admittedly, I don't like that philosophy. And maybe it'll be why this show remains a nice small little community of myself and a few dozen loyal listeners who swing by to hear yet another audio essay about a complicated topic. (sighs) I really do love you all, seriously. But this is where we are, though. Living as the creatures that we are, with the evolutionary wiring that we're all still stuck with, always ready to split the world into simple categories and then pad them with traits that make us more sure that we're right and another group, whoever that might be, are absolutely wrong. Simultaneously, this exploit in our psychology has been identified and ramped up to the extreme for the benefit of tech companies and news outlets looking to maximize their growth and engagement numbers, that is, keeping your eyes glued to their content. So then the last piece to go over this episode is just to ask, how do we get past all this or work on our issues? Is it possible? Or are we just doomed to live this way until we destroy ourselves? Oh my God, Dan, Jesus, that's dark. I never said it was an optimistic topic, but... Let's go back to those examples of the three types of binary thinking that we touched on in the first half of the episode, because all three of those examples actually had solutions attached to them. Ah, I've been holding out on you just a wee bit. Now, the first example, again, was the truth binary, where people like to deal in absolutes, resting on the assurance that something is as they say it is, following the all or nothing philosophy. Now, the solution attached to that one was called probabilistic thinking which is to analyze something as being more in the middle of 100% yes or no. This involves being more analytical of a problem, considering the probability of any individual outcome. You know, my Los Angeles Rams are going to come back, kick everyone's ass, and win another Super Bowl again, baby. Woo! Sure sounds nice, but it's assuming an absolute outcome. I think the Rams are a well-built team that will push for another title and have a good chance to pull it off that's a more probabilistic approach. It's a tough word, by the way, probabilistic. Took me a few tries, I won't lie. Then there was the goodness binary, where moral characteristics were placed on one side or another. The solution here was described as gray thinking, that being the ability to recognize that when it comes to goodness or badness, that any side of any issue has at least a little of both of them in it. And at the same time, to recognize that painting entire groups as inherently good or evil all the way only makes the binary splitting of any issue much, much worse. Calling everyone who identifies as a conservative a white supremacist or everyone who identifies as a liberal as a Satan-worshipping communist it's not really an effective way to make progress either way. Now, of course, I recognize that there are times where there's inherent good or bad in certain groups, which can probably be seen by taking a look at whatever their underlying motivations are. Lastly, there was the identification binary, grouping people based on an aspect of their identity, like race or gender or which country they're from. The solution suggested there was multi-factor thinking, or recognizing the degree to which someone's identity has something to do with a trait being applied to them. Categorizing an entire group of people with an absolute negative characteristic is obviously unfair. For example, someone may be a criminal, but that doesn't make the crime they committed automatically equal to a more severe crime. A thief and a murderer are not one and the same, even though they could both be identified in the category of criminal. A person may be insensitive to certain cultural issues, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what they are doing is being intentionally cruel. In truth, though, These solutions just kind of seem pretty low-level obvious, you know? The best way to stop binary thinking is just to not think of things in a binary way. Like, yeah, of course. It would be great if human beings were simply wired differently and were able to take a minute to analyze the probabilities or recognize nuance. That's a pretty simplistic way of thinking about it all. And there's kind of an irony to those approaches too, you know what I mean? The solution to binary thinking can't really just be boiled back down to a binary option of think in binary terms or don't, right? But yes, there is of course validity to all those solutions. I mean the whole point of this episode is to dive into the topic so that we can be aware of it all and maybe employ some of those solutions when we interact with the world around us. But there's also got to be more to it than that, a deeper level to it, and to me there is because we simply have to more strongly address The fact that this piece of our collective psychology is known and is being actively exploited by companies and by people who are very aware of what they are doing. It's not unintentional, it's baked right into the structures of news media, of online content, and of course, of politics and of businesses looking to grow. From my perspective, there's a desperate need to hold accountable the people who are benefiting from exploiting the psychology of binary thinking, of splitting of othering, of all of it. Being aware of binary thinking and the problems associated with it is solid, sure. And I hope that this episode has done a good job of that. But now we have to not only recognize when our brains are working that way, but also see it when it's being exploited in the world around us. And of course, call it out for what it is. It's a harmful appeal to our basic instincts. People in the worlds of news media and content creation are using this crap to their advantage, and those people who are pushing controversy and being outrageous for the purposes of building up their brands or YouTube channels or whatever, those people absolutely need to be called out for their shit. Myself included, should I ever stray into that territory? Look, people in podcasting who encourage divisive pick-a-side and be-firm content strategies should be called out for that bullshit because members of this industry are taking up the cause against podcasts with questionable content, for example, like Joe Rogan has been for the past couple of months, at the same time, they seem to be very quiet on the issue of how the industry incentivizes that kind of content in order to grow the brand, all of which is just done in an effort to sell advertising in the end. There is both a personal and systematic approach to working through binary thinking and the social, cultural, and economic divides that it creates. And we are desperately in need of people being more aware that they are both being pitted against each other and are actively pitting themselves against other groups as they move through their lives. Because if we can't start to shift our mindsets and viewpoints back to some sort of common ground, back towards some sort of understanding of nuances, or realizing that there's good and bad in all things, well, then... I don't know what the final outcome will be if the world just keeps splitting into two groups of all or nothing. But my money would be on the nothing side of it all being pretty close to what we'll get in the end. All right, that's it for this episode of Assorted Goods. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, or maybe you hated the episode and everyone who likes it as well. If you want to follow the show on the socials, you can follow me and Assorted Goods on Twitter and Instagram. The handle on both platforms is at disinformeddan. You can also visit the website disinformed.ca where you can find show notes for each episode, which includes the sources used for the information in the episode. If you'd like to support Assorted Goods, all that I ask is that you hit the subscribe button on whichever app you choose to listen on. And of course, tell a friend about the show, send them a link and get them on board with you. And if you want to email the show, you can reach me through the contact page on disinformed.ca or just make it easy and email me at dan at disinformed.ca. The music for this episode was created and produced by my talented brother, David Belton. Thank you, brother, as always. And credit for the information used in this episode goes to the journalists, academics, writers, editors, and everyone involved in keeping people like me informed so I can provide people like you with a quality show. Thank you again for listening. Take care of each other out there. And I will catch you next time here on Assorted Goods.